You are listening to a message by Travis Scott from our gatherings at Shorebreak. Visit shorebreakchurch.com to get connected with more content. And if you would like to support the gospel being preached in Kona and to thousands online, your tax-deductible donation enables us to further Jesus' mission. Partner with us by giving at shorebreakchurch.com backslash give. Mahalo. Hey, you can be seated and make your way to Philippians chapter 4 for the last time. Uh, It's kind of bittersweet, not going to lie. I uh, have loved this book. Um, We started this book back in January. Gives you perspective on how long we've been making our way through the book of Philippians, but um, this is our last message today uh, in this incredible book. And we could not have anticipated how this book was going to rekindle and challenge our relationship with Jesus. And that, it's done. To hear the stories of, of just talking with many of you pastorally, and, and not just that, but, but also the conversations that we've heard in community groups and how God has used this incredible book to really transform our lives. Uh, personally speaking, I went into this book, and now coming out of this book, a few months later, a different person. I'm actually thinking about certain things about God, about life, about my life, about the way I view this world, and light of these truths, things that have stuck with me, I think that will forever stick with me. Maybe that's one of the reasons why God had called me to to do what I do, because I'm a thick-headed, stubborn person, and so he's like, yeah, I'm going to have you study through and through this book so that maybe it would get through your head, Travis, these amazing truths that I want to reveal to you through this book. Uh, Next week, we begin our new series in Malachi. I am so uh, excited about the beginning of this new series, and along with the launch of our new series next week, our new service times will begin at, note this, remember, 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. Next Sunday, new series through the book of Malachi and new service times at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. We had to do that because the 9 a.m. is, there's not much room in the 9 a.m. And going into the fall, which is the time of year we grow, which we're not in fall yet, but getting ready for it, uh, we need to figure out how to manage, steward the gospel well. So uh, I would encourage you, though, in the meantime, to be reading through the, the book of Malachi, um, it's the burden of the Lord. It's the burden of the messenger who is giving that message. And it's a burden to those who hear it. All you have to do is read the first six verses of Malachi chapter one to quickly realize, yeah, this is going to be heavy. And so um, it's going to be fun to go through a lot of these things. So I would encourage you to read ahead, saturate your soul and your mind in this, in that book. I would encourage you to do that. But sadly, today we finish our last message in the book of Philippians. These four incredible chapters that we have here, though it only takes a few minutes to read through, are so good. Um, These verses, Philippians, has fought for our joy. And for those who have enjoyed the truths that we've read in this book, you've grown to have more joy in Jesus as a result of the pages of this inspired book. 59 times in the New Testament, joy is 
mentioned. Of those 59 times, 16 times joy is mentioned in this book. 50 times Jesus Christ is mentioned in this book. So 16 times joy is mentioned in this book. 50 times Jesus is mentioned in this book, which goes to show you and me that there is not joy without knowing Jesus. That if you and I are going to know and have joy, we must have Jesus. And that is what Paul has given to us. This book is infused with deep and rich gospel truths. For that, we thank Paul for. God, in his sovereignty, has given us this beautiful Message that there is joy in knowing Jesus. That you cannot separate knowing Jesus and joy. In fact, there's a time in my Christianity that if I was going to be a Christian, it meant I had to sacrifice joy in order to be saved. But in reality, what Christianity is, what the gospel is, is that coming to Christ for our truest satisfaction and joy is the gospel. That that there is joy in knowing Jesus and knowing him. All the things of this world we count as rubbish. Knowing him, the things that we once enjoyed, we thought brought us true joy, we realize are false. They don't satisfy and meet our needs. Joy is something that overtakes us when we are in Jesus. And we've talked about what it looks like to have so much love and affection for Jesus that it changes the way we think the way we live, our purpose, our being, and that all of our life as a Christian, until we go to be with him, is fueled by joy. In chapter one, we saw how Paul was so confident in Jesus that he said, hey, Christian, he who began a good work in you, He will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. That what God has begun in you and God redeeming and God saving and God doing a great work in you. God hasn't saved you to let you fend for yourself, but he's saved you to fight for you, to be there with you, to encourage you to bring it to completion. Because what God begins, God finishes. What God starts, he doesn't leave to the wayside for us to figure out. The struggle is real. The agony of frustrations are there. Yet Jesus is not done with us. And is that you? Can you identify with that this morning? That you can say, I'm not where I want to be. I'm not arrived yet. Yet God would say, yes, but Paul would say to you, he who began a good work in you, even though you're struggling, even though you've had this really just frustration, you look at your life and want to be this and, and I'm this and I'm not satisfied with where I've arrived at. Be reminded. He who began a good work in you is faithful. He will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul was so joyful in Jesus that he went on to say in chapter one crazy things like, because of this good work, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Who can say that? Oh, imperial guards, you want to kill me? To die is gain. Are you going to let me live? That's fine, to live is Christ. You can't touch anyone like that. You're going to kill me? I'll die as gain. You're going to let me live? I'm going to live for Christ. Live for his glory. But that was Paul. And then in chapter 2, we saw how God uses the gospel to, to transform a person that despite our differences, we can be unified. 
that the gospel can become such a real and tangible thing in our life that in the midst of our differences, now listen, right now, we have differences, right? We have different stories, different backgrounds, different upbringings, different theology. And in the midst of these differences, we can be unified because what unifies us in Christ far outweighs any differences we might have. So much so that we lay down our own agenda. We lay down our arms so that we do nothing out of rivalry and conceit, but in everything we live for his glory to serve the needs of others because we have one mind in Christ. We are not driven by any of these other things. And then in chapter three, we were challenged to forget what lies behind and to strain forward to what lies ahead, that with godly aggression, we keep pressing on, that it doesn't matter how you feel, that it doesn't matter the emotions you're experiencing. Paul gives no credence to our emotions, but he says, in spite of all that you're going through, keep pressing on, keep fighting, keep moving forward. In fact, the, the, the illustration he used that we strain towards the goal of the upward call in Christ Jesus in Philippians 3 is this imagery of someone running a race. We count all things as rubbish. We abandon all of these things in pursuit of him. And even though we still sin because of our identity is in Christ, that drives all of our activity. And then we were reminded at the end of chapter three that this is not our home. This is not what we are made for. This is not where we belong. But that we are in fact citizens of heaven. And that we look forward to the day when we get to move into our eternal home with Jesus for all eternity. We're just sojourners passing through. And then we saw in chapter four that we've come to understand that all the anxieties that you and I carry can be overthrown, can be overtaken by knowing that God is sovereign, that the Lord is at hand, that God is in fact in control of everything that we don't have to be anxious about everything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, we can make our requests known to this sovereign God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And so because God is sovereign, we pray, and because we believe that we can put boldly approach his throne, our anxiety is overthrown by peace a peace that surpasses any explanation, any circumstance you and I might be going through. So with much or with little, Paul learned to be content. The contentment does not come naturally to us. You and I are not naturally content. We're not going to be naturally content when we buy the new home, when we get the new car, when we go to church, there are always things to be discontent about. Contentment does not come naturally. Yet Paul says here, I've learned in all things. And because contentment doesn't come naturally, it means we grow and we learn that with much or with little, that Jesus is enough. And because Jesus is enough, we can be content in all circumstances. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. That context, though, is in light of contentment. And that because we are content, we can live generous, sacrificial lives. 
partnering together in the gospel. As the Philippians had partnered in supporting Paul, their pastor, to expand the gospel and the work of the church. So we too support the work and the ministry of the gospel, following the biblical model of Philippians chapter 4, partnering in the gospel for our joy. Because it is a joyful person who is a generous person. Someone who is stingy, someone who is not generous, is someone who will come to realize that, man, I'm lacking joy. So, Philippians, a book about joy. The joy there is in knowing Jesus. This battle for joy, fought and won in Jesus. And now this book comes to an end. I want to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. Philippians chapter 4, picking it up in verse 21. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Heavenly Father, we need your grace this morning. Our souls are prone to wander. Lord, we feel it. To leave the God, you who we love, to God be there minister to our soul in this moment. God, give us your grace, for we are all in need of your unmerited love, undeserved compassion from you. For there is nothing we can do to earn your love and compassion. But it is through your Son you've made a way for us to receive the riches and the glory that there is in you. And we return all that we have back to you, God. So I ask that you would help me to be faithful to your word. That all of us would have ears to hear, hearts that are soft, despite of what we've gone through. And that our restless soul would find contentment in you because of how you view us. So Lord, we don't want to just play church and kind of do this religious thing, but we Know you are a living and true God. Because you are alive, would you work in us this morning? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. When we go to the movies as a family, we don't get up like many other people get up when the rest of the credits roll. You know what I'm talking about? Like, The moment the movie begins, everyone seems to get up and leave. Like, how quickly can I get out of the movie and just get on with the rest of my evening or whatever else we have going on? But when everyone else thinks that the movie is done, oftentimes they end up ignoring the actual end of the movie. So like when we go to the movies, which is not very often because just for our family alone, it's like $40 on the cheap end. You throw popcorn, candy, and sodas in there. We're working our way to $100 already, 
right? I mean, it just gets super expensive really fast. And so we're like, we're going to milk everything we possibly can out of going to the movies. We're like even reading the names on the credits. And the kids are like, can we go? And it's like, no, there might be an ending. Or what we do is we wait for the post credit, right? We wait for the coda, as it is often known as, because we don't want to miss the ending. While it could be easy to miss the ending of this important book, the last three verses of Philippians are like a post-credit. And in fact, in our community group today, or not today, but in the community group we, we met, uh, our leaders actually thought that the book of Philippians came to an end. They thought the book was done. They thought the book was over. And I was like, actually, hey guys, just, you know, we're not done with the book yet because it almost does feel as though in chapter 20, to God our Father and be glory forever and ever, amen, could be a good ending to the book. But Paul will not go quietly. And so we are going to milk everything we can out of this amazing book, including these last three verses. Now you think, really, these last three verses, you're going to do a whole message on these last three verses? They're kind of like a typical ending like Paul gives to every one of his other books. But these closing words are inspired by God. They hold divine truth just as much as the red letters you read in the Gospels just as inspired as Jesus' own words because we believe everything in this book is the word of God. So we look at verse 21 where Paul says, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. Greet every saint, Paul refers to them here. Greet every saint, speaking of the Philippians, that when Paul was talking about their church, he referred to them as saints. You, could, you can even see in Ephesians or Galatians and different other books that Paul had written to different churches, he refers to them as saints. This is a typical greeting that Paul gives. Yet within Christianity, we don't identify in modern-day Christianity with this word saints because we understand the word saints to be reserved for only of those who have somehow achieved an amazing level of godliness, that they somehow have done amazing, great things for God, and, and then and only then does the word saint apply to those type of people. Depending on your church background, you, you don't refer to the Apostle Paul maybe as Saint or as Apostle Paul, but as Saint Paul, or as Saint John, or Saint Matthew, and Saint Andrew. So when you read greet every saint, especially in our modern day language, it's probably not striking a chord with you. Like we're not saying, hey, what's up? How's it, Saint? We're doing call each other saints, right? And I'm not suggesting that right now we should ever call each other saints. I mean, I've never, though, met a person in, 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 the sh in my life who's walked up to me and, and handed me a business card. Hey, what's up, man? My name's St. Paul, yo. Like, never done that, right? If I would, I'd be like, get away from me, crazy. I don't know who you are. I don't want to be around you. It's... We don't usually use the word saint. We don't understand it. We don't refer to it. And so when we think as Christians this word saint, we think that, oh, they, these people have a, a achieved some level of godliness, and that's why they're called saint. But when it comes to our lives, most of us probably feel like ain'ts than saints, right? 
we can identify with what Paul is saying here because we can't touch some of the miraculous things that some of these people have done. Paul, Andrew, Peter, they've achieved a level of godliness and they have done things for, for God that I don't think I would ever do. And even if I had done, I don't think anyone's calling me a saint, right? I look at my own life, saint, really? I, I don't, we don't, whether you feel like it or not, you're a saint. Whether you feel like it or not, right now, if you have been transformed by grace, if you have love and affection for Jesus, if you have been born again and repented of your sins, you are a saint. What's up, saint? How's it? You guys doing all right, saints? Feels weird, but it's true. Paul says at the beginning of verse 21, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Every, that is to say that every believer in the church at Philippi was considered a saint. Now it's important for us to know that Paul is not calling them saints, hear me, because they do not have great character. Paul is not calling them saints because they have achieved some great level of spiritual godliness. God has not called them saints because they are better than all the other Christians, even though they are the most maturing church, at least in their time. They are. But Paul doesn't even address that. Paul is not considering them saints because they have, apart from the grace of God, done some great things for God in his kingdom. He's not calling them saints because they have it all together. Because they never make a mistake. Because they don't cuss anymore. Because they don't do, they don't jump through all the little religious loopholes that somehow make someone seem more godly. What Paul is doing here is reminding them of something he has previously reminded them back at chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints and Jesus Christ who are at Philippi. Paul, from book end, is reminding the saints in Philippi of their identity. What is their identity? Philippians, you're a saint. Christian, hear me right now. You are a saint. Those who have been saved by grace and set apart by God are saints. It's not that they will be saints. It's not that they can grow into becoming a saint. It's that the born-again soul is marked by being a saint. You've been a Christian for a month or been a Christian for 30 decades. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how long you live. Doesn't matter how much of the Bible you know. If you've been born again, you're a saint. In fact, the word saint uh, in the Greek, in the original language, means uh, hagias. Hagias. Not to be confused with hagendas, which is amazing. But it's hagias. And the word hagias means, in the original language, most holy I don't know if you've ever had a, a Haagen-Dazs cappuccino uh, truffle. That is actually most holy, just so you know. 
It is absolutely amazing. But Christian, you are a hagios. You are, in fact, most holy. Right now, you you are most holy. Now, if if you have a hard time receiving that, it's probably because you don't feel most holy, right? Their identity as saints is defined because, notice this, we got to go back to verse 21. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. They are saints because their identity is in Christ Jesus. God has made them his own by his grace. Jesus Christ has made us his own, and because we are in Christ, we are most holy. We are not a saint because of anything we've achieved on our own. You are not a saint because of anything you've done within your own strength, within your own power. You are a saint as a result of God's grace and his grace alone towards you. And God views you as most holy. You might not think of yourself, you might not view yourself as most holy, but God does. God sees you as holy. So often we view Christianity and even as we read the Bible and even we view God seeing us as unholy, as unjust, but God doesn't see us that way. We are not saints because of anything we have achieved, but because of all that we have received in Jesus. The gospel is the result of God turning sinners into saints. At the stain of our sin, is bleached by the shed blood of Jesus so that we are washed white as snow. We're bleached by blood red, made holy in the eyes of God. So while you see yourself as sinful, God doesn't see you as sinful. God sees his son Jesus in you. God sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ that is given to you. And he sees you right now as holy. Now, why, why is this, again, so important? Because we even talked about this a few weeks ago in Philippians. Identity is everything. A mom is identified because of what she does. The result of her having a title being mom means she probably is changing diapers and doing other things that moms do, like cooking meals and working hard in the house and trying to provide for the family in whatever way, whatever responsibility she has. Um, If you are an entrepreneur, you are an entrepreneur, and because you are an entrepreneur, your activity reveals that you are, in fact, an entrepreneur. If you're an athlete, that title, athlete, reveals that your activity is, in fact, an athlete. And so when we say that our identity is in Jesus Christ, the result of our identity being in Christ, being most holy, is evident in the fact that we are, in fact, living holy lives because of his grace. Whose we are determines how we live. Our identity d- drives our activity. This is why it's so important for us to know that you are holy because if we keep viewing ourselves as sinful, I'm sinful, I'm a screw-up, I'm a mess-up, though I am, if that's how I identify myself, then guess how I'm going to continue to live? 
I'm not going to live under the identity Paul referred to the other Christians here in the church as saints. But when I see myself, as God sees myself, as saint, as sinner, becoming more holy by his grace, that will change how I live. But if we are not in Jesus, we are not Christians, we are no longer saints, or are not saints, but we are sinners. God does not view us as holy, but he views us as dirty and wicked. And apart from his grace, we will suffer eternal punishment. But in Jesus, there is hope. In Christ Jesus, we can be made most holy. So don't look for holiness if you're not a Christian anywhere apart from the grace of Jesus Christ. Because in Jesus, there is life. In Jesus, there is hope. In Jesus is how we are made most holy. And Christian, don't be tempted to think that somehow in your pursuits for more holiness, you can be more holy apart from his grace. Holiness begins, is sustained, and continues in our identity in Christ Jesus. Because of our position in Christ, Paul viewed everyone in that church as saints. Now, do you think there's some bad, messed up people in the church at Philippi? Come on, you know, I mean, it's not just shore break that there's bad and messed up people here, right? <laughs> there are messed up people. Um, okay, let's just think about this. Uh, Euodia and Syntyche. Remember the little drama that happened to them at the beginning of verse 4? Bickering and fighting. Paul says, saints. Paul looked at the whole church, the ones who were weird, the ones who were popular, the ones he maybe didn't like so much, looked at all their sin, maybe some of those who were just struggling continuously. And Paul does not say, in verse 21, greet every moronic, annoying person in Christ Jesus, does he? <laughs> no, no, no. Even thinking about Euodia and Syntyche, he says, greet every saint. Paul considers them saints because he knows their identity is in Jesus and some are doing good and some are not doing so good, but God sees all of us as most holy. So even if you don't have it all together this morning, even if you don't, you don't feel holy, if you are in fact in Christ Jesus, you are most holy. So the way Paul sees the church is the way we should view one another as most holy. In fact, he goes on to say, verse 21, yes, we're still in verse 21, the brothers who are with me greet you. Okay, so get, see this now. Because of the gospel, our identity is saints, and so we should see one another as saints. And now because of the gospel, we should relate to one another as brothers. For that's how Paul viewed them. And that's how they viewed Paul. The gospel causes us to see one another as saints, and now the gospel causes us to relate to each other as brothers. Since we are in Christ Jesus, 
we are brothers and sisters in the Lord. We are family. Paul says, hey, the brothers who are with me, they're saying aloha. They're saying, how is it to you? It's almost like, you know, when you get on the phone with someone uh, from your family and you haven't talked to them in a while and you get on the phone and you're like, oh, hey, how's it going? And they're like, oh, hey, by the way, so-and-so wants to say hi. And you're like, oh, no, please. And they hand the phone to so-and-so. And then they hand the phone. And before you know it, everyone in your ohana is saying hi to you. That's what's happening here. Everyone who is there with Paul, who has been ministering with Paul in, in prison, uh, there in Rome and in the ministry abroad and the greater city and the urban areas of Rome is saying, hey, by the way, will you say, how is it? Will you say what's up to the Philippians? They have to say hi. They love one another. And this family, this brotherhood, this, this ohana we've been called into are a uniquely diverse church, just so you know. As they're saying hi, no doubt they're thinking of the Greek slave girl, Lydia. You guys remember Lydia? The wealthy fashionista CEO. And, and she was Asian, so you have a younger teenage Greek girl, Asian girl, who, woman who is extremely successful. Then you have this, the next guy, Roman soldier who gets saved. That's diversity in this church. These are some of the first people that were saved in the church. Extremely diverse, so much so that, you know, you got to wonder, like if Lydia invited over the Roman soldier and his family, like, hey, would you guys like to come over for some tea? And, and the Roman soldier's like, honey, what, what should we say? It's like, yes, babe, we go over for tea. I don't like tea. Doesn't matter. We go over for tea. Why? We're brothers and sisters. This is what we do. This is what we've been called into. The, the, the church is a diverse ohana made up of all different types of people, different types of backgrounds, different stories. In fact, that's what Paul says in Galatians 3.28. He said there is neither Jew nor Greek, which means what? We're all brothers and sisters and that in the church, there is neither Jew or Greek. That's racial. There is neither slave nor free. Slave nor free, slave being poor, free being wealthy, social. There is neither Jew nor Greek, racial, neither slave nor free, social. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And we are. The gospel and the church is to be multi-ethnic, poor and rich, male and female, young and old. We are all here together. Doesn't matter the age, doesn't matter the race, doesn't matter our wealth. This is what it means to be the church. Guys, it, it still blows my mind that, that God called my wife and I to be here. Now, we love Hawaii, but why in the world would God call a Howley boy from the mainland to come and preach the gospel to a Polynesian culture of which this gospel message is from the Middle East? Christianity is to its core diverse. For that we celebrate because we are all one in Christ. We're one. Uniquely related to one another because of the blood of Christ. We are blood relatives, you know that? And our ties and the blood of Christ run deeper 
that even our actual family into all eternity. Now, listen, I'm not saying anything negative or bad about family. Family is awesome. Family is very much, Ohana is very much built into our culture here on the islands. But what I am saying is that often we can overvalue to the point of idolizing our personal family at the expense of our eternal family. This. This Ohana has been bought by the blood of Jesus and we should not undervalue the church, our church family. This is eternal, you guys. You know, this is, every Sunday is the dress rehearsal for what is to come for all eternity. And so we should, because of this reality, treat one another with honor. My mind keeps going back to Romans 12. Showing honor to one another, outdoing one another in love and showing honor. Like, like not just showing honor to one another, but that as we show honor to one another, we're trying to outdo honor to one another. That, that we build a culture of, of, of aloha, that we get out of our cliques as a church. And yes, we feel comfortable with the people that we know, but, but we need to go out of our way and, and to go to meet new people because there are constantly people that are new coming in through the... And if you're new, by the way, welcome. We're glad you're here. But... If you're new, I mean, think of the first time you came into this church. How did you feel? You know, we should feel welcome. We should be a welcoming people, building this culture of, of love and, and aloha and making people, from the moment they walk in, looking for their needs. It is, it's interesting to me that as I look at these last verses, the very way the church loves them is by them greeting one another. The way they show their aloha is by giving aloha, sharing the breath of life, just acknowledging them as a person, as an image bearer of God. And, and I just want to take some time right now to thank the, the host team of this church. We have often undervalued the importance of those who are in the greeters and the host team who say, welcome in the door. They play a huge and vital role and they are, you are living examples of this truth if you're on the host team. So thank you to all of you. And while they do an amazing job of creating culture of aloha within this church, overall, I'm just going to be honest now, I think we could do better. I think we could do much better at making people feel welcome. Thank you if you're on the greeters team, but listen, as Christians, we're all called to be on the greeters team. And that does not mean you have to go up, which it could mean that. <laughs> go visit the connect table and sign it to be on the, 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 uh, the host team. But we have all been called to, to greet, to acknowledge one another. After all, we are brothers and sisters. And so biblically, listen, no one is to be left out. No one is to be left out. Verse 21, greet every saint. Like say, greet every, like say, say hi to every saint. If the church is 2,000 people or 200 people or two people, doesn't matter. Greet every saint. He goes on to say in verse 22, all of the saints greet you. Do you see what's happening here? No one is being left out. But I want you to know this. Greeting is not based on personality. 
but it is a biblical priority. From the text, this is not based on anyone's type of personality, but a biblical priority. Because some of you are like, yeah, I'm an introvert. This, this message makes me nervous alone. I'm just nervous to be here with people. You're so introverted, right? That's okay. That's fine. And then others of us are like, come on, preach it. I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I, some of us are very extrovert. In fact, my wife and I are completely the opposite like this. For those of you who know, I'm loud, extrovert, and obnoxious. My wife is sweet, quiet, and not obnoxious, right? That's, that's our marriage in a nutshell. Um, in fact, this last Thursday, Thursdays are, are date night for my wife and I, and so we went out to dinner. And usually when we go out to dinner, it is always accompanied by my wife uh, telling me non-verbally, shut up, right? Like, like I'm sitting there at the table, stretching like, oh, this food is good, not even thinking about it. And she, just, she didn't have to say anything. Gives me the glare. I'm like, okay, I'm sorry, because all the, and before you know, I realized it, people were like, what is that guy's problem, you know? It was the best of clam chowder soup I've ever had in my life that mankind will ever experience. So to that, I defend myself. But I am loud. My wife is not. But both of us are called biblically to greet. That doesn't have to fit a certain personality, but it means we both do it. So she does it in her introvert, quiet, sweet way by saying hi to people. And, and I do it by the obnoxious way, saying hi to people. And this doesn't, this doesn't mean that we need to downgrade small talk. And some of us are like, we hate small talk. Well, they're greeting one another here. So in spite of that, we, we, we share aloha. After all, Paul went out of his way to greet them. It made it in the book of Philippians. And so you and I should go out of our way to greet one another. The gospel causes us to be attentive to other people and to not to be attentive to ourselves. The gospel is God pursuing us and dying for us as sinners. And so sharing the same love and the same heart of God, it means we go out of our way to find people, to say aloha to people, to meet new people, to get out of our cliques, to stop being so comfortable, and to say hi. For the Christian, greeting is a way of life. Our love is not cold and our doors are not shut. But in this house, in this ohana, our doors are open and our love is extended to those who we don't even know. Because we want this ohana, we want this family to grow. And it has been. So for those of you who have been, had this heart of, of being a greeter, praise the Lord. But now we all have been called by Paul in these closing verses. We want this family to grow. And that's exactly what happened. Look at verse 22. All the saints greet you, especially those of, the, of Caesar's household. Wait, what? Caesar's household. Can you imagine being a Philippian, hearing that read in church? Caesar? Caesar. Like, you're Caesar of the most powerful government, force, army, war, political machine that this world has ever seen. 
that through Paul's change, the gospel has been unleashed that after one imperial guard, after another imperial guard, the gospel has made its way to the household of Caesar. So much so that some in Caesar's household is like, hey, Paul, say, how's it? Say what's up to all those in Philippi. Can you imagine the Philippians like, oh my gosh, can you lower our taxes, please, actually? Can you get on that? Like, out of bondage, the gospel grew. And so we close, though, with verse 23. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. You guys, it's because of God's grace we are made most holy. It's because of God's grace we can now relate to one another, diverse, culturally, racially, Socially, we can all come together because of the gospel and relate to one another as brothers and sisters. And it's because of grace we can enjoy the joy there is in knowing Jesus. From the beginning, Philippians chapter 1, to the end of Philippians, we have grace. It's all about Jesus, and it is all about his grace. And so we close with the words of Paul. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Jesus, thank you for this wonderful gift of Philippians. Thank you that you extend your holiness to us. That even what we stand on as Christians is not our own righteousness, is not our own holiness, but to be loved by you, we have to receive righteousness from you, and for that we are eternally thankful. May we, in spite of our sin, the struggle we have in the flesh, and the accusations of the enemy, may we believe that we are saints, that we are most holy. And God, now, even as we pray, maybe there are those in here this morning who do not know you are most holy, who do not know you at all. In fact, they've realized, you have realized, as we're taking this time to pray and as we have preached this message, maybe you have realized that you are dirty, that you are sinful, that that you've actually seen your sin and all that you've done on your own is disgusting. Hear me right now. If you are not a Christian and that's you, that is a gift God has given you to show you your sin And in God revealing your sin to you has shown you that through the gospel you can believe on his name and be saved. If that's you, repent of your sin. If that's you, confess your sin. Respond to God showing you your sin by you confessing that sin to him and he will forgive you of your unrighteousness. That is a gift. Grace is a gift and grace is God. 
going out of his way to acknowledge that you were a sinner and that on the cross 2,000 years ago, you believed that he died specifically for you, specifically for your sin, that as his blood was poured out, you were washed clean. Believe that. Confess that. I'm, I'm going to give you a time right now to, to respond to the gospel in that way. Lord, thank you for this time we've had in the book of Philippians. What a joy. Oh, what a joy this book has been. May we continue to be a church on mission, showing aloha to this beautiful island, to this place that you have created, to souls that are in need of your grace. What we have freely received through your son Jesus, we freely give to others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We hope that Jesus is doing a work in your life from the message that you just heard. We would love to hear how you were impacted and what was impressed on your heart. Share your story by emailing connect at shorebreakchurch.com. And if you don't know Jesus as God, Lord and Savior, or you have more questions, send us an email to info at shorebreakchurch.com so we can get you dialed in with a free Bible and resources for your new relationship with Jesus.